When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. God's incarnation is not for people who believe they are perfect. God's incarnation are for those who have been humbled and broken and weeping. Christmas, John. Merry Christmas, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> this is the last one of 2017. Can you believe it? I mean, the last like interview, but I just it couldn't end with a better. Yeah, it couldn't end better than this. It, it, like if if for people who have been listening since, uh, you know, if you're new, if you picked up on us within the last like month or so, um, this guy is a regular guest on the show. Um, he has an open invite. Anytime he wants to come on and just riff on something. And he came on and, and so, sort of helped us kickstart our new year this year. So mm-hmm. we're, we're sort of beginning and ending mm-hmm. uh, with, with the same dude. and Sweet, sweet man. Uh, and so he started with an Easter message, and he's ending with a Christmas message. Alexander Shia. Ugh. Alexander Shia. Probably, not probably, easily one of our favorite human beings. Oh, on easy, easily. Yeah. Easily. He might he might actually be Santa Claus. I'm starting to there's some similarities there. Just the kindness, the gentle soul, the wisdom, I would assume that Santa Claus imparts upon his elves. There there's every once in a while somebody comes around who is equal parts wise and warm. Mm-hmm. That makes you feel crappy about what a terrible person you are i'm just kidding no but kind of but kind of because he's so great but it's inspiring and it's like oh man like i need to be a little bit more shia yeah he's just a great dude and and what wisdom do they have i mean for those that uh are robcast listeners yes you are going to be so happy with the the flow of these two episodes. And I know sweet uncle Shia had that all <laughs> planned out when he, when he booked our shows and he was like, when are you guys releasing? And like yeah. the material, I, I listened to the interview that he did on uh, Rob's show and I'm so excited to present this one now. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a great, it's such a great next part of the conversation. And, it, and like I said, it's such a good year ender for us. Um, you know, last year we ended, ended with, um, with uh, Father Roar, and this year we're ending with um, one of our other favorite um, unofficial spiritual advisors. I, I yes, guess, absolutely, <laughs> maybe maybe official at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. You know, I think once you you uh, you maintain email correspondence um, w- with someone uh, on that level, they, yeah, he's official. But anyway, um, and do you know what I was thinking about this for Christmas too? Just real quick, and then and then we'll just roll right into this. Um, it's like everybody usually has some kind of a Christ- Christmas tradition if you celebrate Christmas or, you know, whatever religion. You know, you probably have a tradition where 
um, somebody either reads from some kind of a book, whether it's like, you know, whether we're talking Christmas vacation and it's like <laughs> the night before Christmas right? <laughs> and you know, Clark Griswold's talking to everybody after the whole family, you know, went, went to crap that, that, that holiday season or, you know, in like my, my family tradition, it's like somebody's going to read something from one of, uh, usually it's the Luke account. That's kind of like the traditional one because nobody wants to read a bunch of genealogies, you know, before <laughs> yeah. you open presents, right. put everybody to sleep. But if ev- everybody's got some kind of a tradition and I feel like closing out the year with, with our sweet, wonderful uncle Shia. Yeah. Um, kind of bringing some of that sort of feel like it's like we're all gathering around just ready for him to like open up some ancient text and like yeah take us into the holiday we're next to the fire yes you know oh, got, some I get that. got some eggnog yeah and just like you know for so many of us that some of those you know maybe you've deconstructed to the point that you don't really want to like open up the gospels right now yeah after you listen to this you might want to you might want to yeah. In, in a way that you're going to feel uh, some things you maybe haven't felt in a long time. And there's some really, really good, good juice. Because that's what we bring you. That's right. And, and I think, I think, I, I know, because we planned it, <laughs> that it's no accident that for those of you that are, that are, um, that are in on the book club, um, on our Patreon campaign, that, that we sent out a particular book um, to sync up with, with the holidays. And that is Marcus Borg's book, Reading the Bible Again for the First Time. So again, yeah, if, if you've been... Having kind of that love hate relationship mm-hmm. uh, with the good old book, um, I think that's one of those books that, at least for me, um, in the early going when I was really going through the strip it down phase, oh yeah, um, really made me want to crack it open again and appreciate it in in whole new ways. Right. So yeah. So yeah, totally. hopefully you guys enjoy this. And uh, again, our our Christmas wish is just for you to be gathered, um, whoever you are around, loved ones, whether that's family or friends or um, whoever. Um, that you have a, a safe and happy holiday, whatever the holiday that is. But um, we're going to talk a little Christmas right now. Here we go. Yep. Sweet, sweet Uncle Shia. Without further ado, Merry Christmas with Alexander Freaking, Freaking Shia. Alexander Shia, it is a delight. It's it's like having family back on the podcast because I really feel like that's what you've become to to John and I. So thank you so much. Welcome back to the States. We're glad you're healthy. Welcome back. Uh, I think for the fourth time? Yeah, the reigning champion. The reigning champion <laughs> on Times on the Deconstructionist podcast. We just cannot wait for this conversation. Thanks for being with us again. Well, I mean, I feel like I'm home and it's just it's great to be with you guys. Thank you. Oh. And I feel, in coming home from the Camino, uh, I, I, to- I totally feel deconstructed. So, <laughs> we are so uh, jealous. <laughs> there, there's a challenge here. I mean, we've got two challenges, and we need to say it right up front. Uh, this, is, this is an adults-only podcast, or um, this is not a family-friendly podcast, whichever way you want to say that. Ooh, not your and, father's Christmas podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and, and secondly... Um, coming home from the Camino, I don't have a thought in my head. And this is actually the very first thing that I've done 
uh, since getting back. And so let's see what happens. Oh, well, we're honored and I'm sure, I'm sure you'll be just fine. <laughs> oh, we can't wait to see what we are about to dig into now, but, but, uh, just so all of our listeners know, Alexander was definitely being serious. Uh, this is going to be, we are going to get into some explicit more content and, uh, <laughs> make sure the children are not within earshot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so this is the, the reason that, that you're back, uh, well, Honestly, you could come on for any reason. Obviously, uh, you have an open. We have an open door policy with with certain guests, and and Alexander's definitely one of those. But we specifically wanted to to pick your brain about the topic of a, uh, of Christmas. Now, this episode will be released the week leading into Christmas. Yes, uh, this is our Christmas present for our listeners. And so, uh, the jingle bells, John. I thought we were going to do a little jingle bells. Oh, that's the magic of editing. I'm going to put that in. I'm going to put that good, in later. Good. Thank goodness. So with. It's like I'm restraining myself right now, but I'll, we'll wait to the very end to say a certain greeting. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Okay. So, so let's start. Let's start off with uh, like Christmas. Like a lot of other Christian traditions, is something that's evolved and developed over time. And obviously, historically, it so, seems to be something of an amalgamation of an attempt by the early Christian church to to convert, um, you know, to convert over penguin, uh, pagans, uh, reverence for St. Nicholas, an absorption of some Nordic traditions. So uh, I don't know if that's a good place to start, but maybe we could start with wh- how would the early Christians have uh, viewed Christmas and, and how did that celebration start? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> we're just doing one podcast. <laughs> for now. Right. Uh, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, uh, the 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 interior files are going just nuts right now. So I love it. I'm going to dive. I'm going to dive into this, but I really want to depend on you to sort of lead me through if I start going down straight paths. Sure, we like your straight paths, Alex. Right, yeah. Well, <laughs> so let let's start with the fact that um, the feast of Christmas doesn't come into Christianity until about 400 years. Now, um, I'm going to ask the indulgence and the patience of people who know a lot of information because I want to speak in some generalities. I'm not going to be trying to nail the exact date that Christmas came into Christianity. But let's say, let's say roughly the year 400. Okay. So the, already that says that Christianity has moved forward in rapid expansion for 300 years without Christmas without the Feast of Christmas. Hmm. Um, We know that spiritually, the core feast is what we talked about on our last podcast, Resurrection is Sunday and Easter. That's That's the ground zero feast of Christianity. However, right behind that comes Christmas. And, and it has everything to do with pagans in the most beautiful way possible. And I love the word pagan. It simply means earth. And Christmas is an earth feast. And one of the things that theologians today are talking about is that in Christianity, we talk about God incarnating twice. God incarnates because God puts God's self in the cosmos. That's the first incarnation. The the second incarnation is Jesus the Christ. And those two incarnations, because they're both incarnations of God, must essentially agree with each other. They are both coming from the same place. So 
the feast of Christmas is coming out of the first incarnation, the earth, and it's telling us the story of the second incarnation, Jesus the Christ. And those two incarnations are absolutely intertwined. And the, and the core experience of the two is the darkness of winter. It, it, because, and, and I'm actually going to just sort of give away the theme song here. Uh, Christmas is about a spiritual practice. And the spiritual practice is something that each one of us is called to do at a moment in the calendar year as a way to get us up to speed for that same moment that's going to happen in our interior lives that might be July or April or maybe December. And that, that outer moment of darkness is teaching us the spiritual practices for our inner moments of darkness. And the great truth of Christianity, and it's matched by most world religions, is if you want to find fresh radiance, you go to the deepest dark in yourself. Just as in the first incarnation, the fresh radiance on earth is born at the time of the deepest dark. And for those of us in the Northern Hemisphere, that's the winter solstice of December. For those of us in the Southern Hemisphere, that's the winter solstice of June. So Christmas is, uh, is, a, is, a, is a teaching and, and um, an aid, uh, an enlivening support for the most critical of all spiritual practices, which is to know that it's only by our courage and grace to go into the deepest darkness, mm. which is where the fresh radiance is born. So there we have it. There we have, we don't know what day on the calendar Jesus was born, and almost nothing in the Christian calendar is based in history it's based in spiritual practice, which is far more efficient and effective and grace-filled than history. Now, talk a little bit about that, Alexander, because we live uh, in, a, in a period of time where, you know, we're still haunted by modernity and enlightenment and, uh, and reason and, and doctrine. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't so necessarily when all of this was getting started. So what was uh, when you talk about the Christian calendar being rooted more in spiritual practices uh, rather than history, uh, I think maybe some ears are going to perk up and some people are going to find that really interesting. Uh, will you talk just a little bit more about why that is and what the difference between then and now is? Let's go back to, we've got the two incarnations. We've got God putting God's self in the cosmos, or actually that the cosmos is born of God's self, and we have Jesus the Christ. The cosmos, for us in the Northern Hemisphere, gives us an embodied incarnational experience of new radiance in the darkness when the winter solstice and the days surrounding the winter solstice in December. Mm. 
The two incarnations must agree with each other, and they amplify and magnify each other so that the birth of Jesus the Christ is not a theological concept, but it's an embodied physical experience. And we, and we can go back and we can thank the Celts in large measure for much of the Christian tradition around Christmas. Oh, this is so good already. <laughs> say wait, say that again. What you were talking about with uh, the embodiment—it's you know—it's not a doctrinal statement. Will you just say that again? Let's. let's I want to hear that again. <laughs> we've got we've got two incarnations, and they and they both tell us the tell us the great story of God. We have the incarnation of the cosmos, and we have the incarnation of Jesus the Christ, and they amplify each other, and so. We know in our spiritual practice that the place of new radiance is found in the deepest dark. We know that on our own personal spiritual journeys. We're learning that in our corporate and collective and community journeys. But this is the great story that the cosmos proclaims at the winter solstice. The winter solstice is the, is the time that the deepest dark has reached its, 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 its greatest depth. And it's precisely at that moment that the reversal happens, that the new radiance begins. And so it's, it's more than appropriate, it's perfect that Christmas is the winter solstice in Christianity. Because Christmas brings together the two incarnations and tells the great story not as a mental concept, not as a historical concept, but as a, an embodied physical experience. And, here, and here's the, and, and, and I get, so let's, let, let's discuss why and how Christmas and the winter solstice have, are now three days apart. So, if we go back in time to the time of Jesus and the first centuries of Christianity, the Western world was following the Julian calendar, um, created by Julius Caesar in the year 45 BC. Uh, in that calendar, December the 25th was the winter solstice. Hmm. So Christianity discerned what day of the year should we celebrate the birth of Christ coming forth out of darkness? Well, we should celebrate it on the day that the cosmos tells the same story. Wow. All right. So for a thousand years, December the 25th was both the winter solstice and the feast of Christmas. Then in the 16th century, uh, Pope Gregory the 13th, uh, created a new calendar called the Gregorian calendar, which is the calendar that we live with in the Western world today. Now, the need for that calendar was because the Julian calendar was 362 days a year, not 365, and the Julian calendar did not take in uh, account leap days. Wow. So by the time we get into the 16th century, the seasons are all wacky from the Christian calendar, and the Christian calendar 
was created because this because the season had the physical incarnational experience of the feast. Wow. So by the 1600s, Christmas is now in the springtime. Hmm. And, and so the Roman church, and I like to give the Roman church credit when it does an occasional thing right, my, <laughs> um, created a new calendar that was now going to be 365 days, no longer 362 days. So that means every day on the calendar was going to, I mean, we're slipping three days in. So, uh, and then we had to rectify also for leap year. So every fourth year we added a day. All right. The winter solstice now became December the 21st, December the 22nd. Now, no longer the traditional feast of the solstice and the traditional feast of Christmas. And everybody is going nuts. Like, what do we do? What do we do? Do we move Christmas now to the new date of the winter solstice? Or do we leave it on the traditional day of the 25th? How do we resolve this dilemma and really almost a crisis of faith? Wow. Dusty tomes and arguments written about what to do. and, and, And then... We went back to the earth, and we said, okay, what's going on here? Well, at the solstice, whether it's the winter solstice or the summer solstice, the word solstice literally means sun stand still. Right. And for three days, the sun neither grows nor diminishes at the solstice. So for three days at the winter solstice, you can't see the sun increasing. And for three days at the summer solstice, you can't see the sun decreasing. All right, now, the winter solstice, where the whole feast of Christmas is about the rebirth or the fresh growing radiance that comes out of the darkness that Jesus the Christ leads us through over and over again in our life. And what the church elders finally realized was, aha, Christmas now is even more perfect staying on the 25th because three days after the night of the solstice will be, Christ- will be Christmas morning. And on Christmas morning, the Celts can see the lengthening shadows on the standing stones and the naked eye now has an experience of light's growth again. Did they understand the fate of the world in a baby's hand? They were part of a story, part of a master plan. Did the stars know the light? So, so Christmas almost becomes another like Easter. In a way. I mean, certainly we, the theologians went on and on about Jesus is in the tomb three days and rises. Right. right. <sighs> so Christmas morning is another resurrection. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Oh, it's so cool. Wow. And it just, and it drives me, it drives me to weep that we have people out there saying, 
that a celebration of the winter solstice is anti-Christian. Nothing could be further from the truth. The winter solstice is the incarnation of God in the cosmos that tells the same story to us as Jesus the Christ. Oh, this is, you know, Alexander, my, I'm just, I'm thinking, I'm thinking a lot about John's gospel right now. While oh, yeah. While you're saying this stuff, because I know in that prologue, he's trying to do some of those things. Well, yes. Well, yes, and to me, that's why John's, prologue as well as the whole gospel is the deepest expression of our spirituality. Oh, so, so let's go there. Let's, uh, let's, let's talk. Cause that, you know, the four gospels, the four paths, that's, that's kind of your, your thing. Yeah. So, the quadratus Christmas. Yes. So like lo- looking at the gospels, obviously Mark doesn't really talk a whole lot about it. He kind of skips and goes right to it. Jesus, uh, his, his adult baptism. Uh, so, so where do we look when we want to look at the, this, the, the birth story. Where, where do we go? All right, let, let me go. And again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give kudos to my tradition again tonight. Wow. Uh, <laughs> second in, the second time in 20 minutes. This is a hit. This is, this is. <laughs> the, um, all right. The early Christians told the story of Christmas starting at sundown on the 24th through mid morning of the 25th. And they used four gospel narratives to tell the story as it matched and amplified what's going on in the earth and the sky at that hour. Hmm. So the first gospel of Christmas, remember again that the church, the ancient church, and some churches today have restored that the church day begins at sundown or just after sundown. Right. Again, reminding us of the spiritual truth that when you go into darkness, that's the beginning. When you go into darkness, it's the beginning. Mm. Go into darkness is the beginning. So, um, at sunset or just after, on the 24th, the early Christians would read the genealogy from the text of Matthew. Oh my gosh. There are a number of reasons. Um, if this is this is um, not the Family Hour podcast, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Matthew's genealogy has got all this gutsy stuff to it about people who found themselves in a time of great darkness, like Tamar, who's mentioned in the genealogy. Um, Tamar, who's Judah's daughter-in-law. Oh yeah. And and her husband has been killed, and she pleads with Judah to marry his third son to her so she can stay in the line. And Judah says yes, but he doesn't bring his third son to her. And so Tamar takes matters before God and sort of into her own hands, so to speak. And she dresses as a vestal virgin, and she stands outside the temple. This is 4,000 years ago, folks. But she stands outside the temple praying that Judah, on his way to the temple, will choose to lie with her, which, you know, um, have sex with her, uh, which is a form of prayer in those days. And... And she's disguised, and Judah does choose her, but doesn't recognize her. But before the deed is done, she asks for Judah's ring. 
and Judah gives the ring to her. The deed is done. And three months later, the text says, Tamar begins to show. And she knows what's coming now. Judah pronounces upon her the death sentence because it is his right 4,000 years ago. He owns a woman's body. He owns the woman's body of any women in his family. And she has brought displeasure and dishonor on the family name because she's gotten pregnant without his permission. And so Tamar only asks to meet with Judah before she's killed. And Judah agrees, and Tamar produces the ring. And thereby she remains part of the line of Abraham. Man. So we've got all of these very, I mean, you think that the genealogy is the most boring uh, verses of the entire Gospels, and, and what's embedded in, those, in that genealogy is are, are headlines like grocery store tabloids. <laughs> and each one is just ringing in the ears of the original hearers about a, a dark time that that person couldn't see their way out of. Man. And God, because they remained basically faithful, God brought them through. So, this is the first gospel of Christmas, proclaimed just as the sun goes down on December the 24th. Because it's proclaiming the truth that we must hold on to when the sun goes down in our lives, not in our outer lives so much, but in our inner lives. This is your story. The genealogy is your staff. God's incarnation is not for people who believe they are perfect. God's incarnation are for those who have been humbled and broken and weeping. And experienced the darkness. Yeah. God. So then we move to the second gospel of Christmas. And the, the Roman Catholic Church still does this. The Roman Catholic Church still has this four texts of, of, of um the four gospel texts of Christmas. The, the Presbyterian traditions, the, um, the Revised Common Lectionary, sadly, in my view, have reduced it down to two. Uh, but, okay, so we go now into the nighttime, and, the, and the, the Roman Catholic rules about this are you must read the second gospel of Christmas once night has fully set in. And so usually this gospel is 7 to 9 o'clock in the evening. And this gospel is from Luke. And it's the gospel of the angel coming to the shepherds in the fields, proclaiming a birth in, Beth in Bethlehem. Now, just, we, are in, we are in the dead of night. Mm. And this is not about just the cold dead of night of December. This is about the cold dead night in you. And I hear about this type of night a lot today. Mm. I hear people in despair about the world and about their lives and about the direction that we seem to be new, seem to be moving, the, the brokenness and the fracturing. And, and that's what this gospel, 
that's the situation, the soil that this gospel is intended to be proclaimed upon. But we do it in Christmas night, in the dead of night, to remind us of the truth of when it happens in our lives. And so the angel comes to the shepherd. And we have to remember, we have to set aside for a moment those beautiful stained glass windows and picture books of shepherds, all nice with lambs cuddled in their arms, sweet things, um, courageous, strong, integrity types. Not these shepherds. Not first century, not these shepherds, not this story. Um, these shepherds are people who are who are ravenous. They have been reduced and shunned and shamed so that they must do the work that no one else will do, which is to be in the field with the sheep mm. and to smell like the sheep because they have done something so offensive to civil society that they must wear the aroma of the sheep like a bell around their neck. It's better than a bell around their neck because people will know a block away. Mm. A shepherd is here. Run. Run the other way. Hide. Protect yourself. Do not speak to this one. This one has been cut off from us because they have so offended our code of ethics. They're like the prodigal sons of the day. They are. And yet, in Luke's text, this is where the angel comes. Mm. And what's beautiful is, let's not talk about that outer person. Let's talk about that inner person. Let's talk about right now in the deep dark, in the interior life, in our emotions and our thoughts, that part of us that's in utter despair, that part of us that has no hope, that part of us who is so afraid about today and tomorrow. This angel is coming to that aspect of us and proclaiming that precisely because we are in this place, the promise that new radiance is born, and let us sing a magnificent Gloria. Now, we move to the third gospel of Christmas. Third gospel of Christmas is proclaimed at dawn of Christmas morning. And the gospel, Luke's gospel of the angel with the shepherds, the angel who announces and the host that sing to the shepherds, the text stops right at the proclamation. But at dawn, we pick the text up, and now we hear that the shepherds go to Bethlehem and see the birth. Just as we are on our way to church at dawn we see that sunrise on third morning after the solstice. So now the third gospel of Christmas is no longer about walking with faith that the promise will be fulfilled. 
now at third dawn, we see, we experience in our bodies. Faith is no longer a, a, a matter of mental exercise. Faith is now a known experience. It is. Birth is. Darkness has reached its zenith and is now past. And now is the time of the new light. So then we move on. Um, That's not the final gospel of Christmas. The final gospel of Christmas Day in this cycle is the prologue of John, which is to be proclaimed in the full light of Christmas morning. Man. And John's text is, remember the two incarnations. Remember that the power and the beauty of Jesus the Christ is the reality that Jesus the Christ magnifies in that same incarnation of the cosmos. That the two incarnations, we celebrate their fresh radiance on Christmas morning. amazing to me when I when I hear you talk about specifically John's gospel you know uh, especially you know western protestant christianity is so doctrinaire you know it's so it's so cerebral and we forget that the the poetry of John's prologue calling us to to remember um the birth of reality as we know it you know, hearkening back to, to Genesis and then manifesting, you know, ultimate reality in Jesus the Christ as being this like, man, this is so deep. This is so big. This isn't about just religion or doctrine or anything else. It's, it's, it's huge. And, and, it's, and it's the magnificent truth that's in human smallness and in the grandeur of the cosmos, that God is born within all of us, not just as humans. God is born within all of us. Therefore, Christmas becomes the feast of the family of the cosmos. Christmas is the feast by which we know that we are brother and sister to animal and sand and soil and, and stardust and cosmos. Yes. We, we all are made of the same substance. So one of the things that I, that I love in your work is your ability to, to, to talk about the differences between the Gospels and, and, make sense, uh, and make sense of it. So one of the things that I've always thought, thought was fascinating about the different accounts of, of the birth story within the Gospels is just the fact that, obviously, as, as we've talked about in previous episodes with you when talking about the four Gospel journey, is the fact that each writer, each author is, is talking to a different audience, what that would have meant um, to that specific audience. And uh, specifically, I just love uh, the way that the Gospel of Luke kind of approaches this, this birth story where it 
it really shows that Jesus is this the Savior for all people, Gentiles and Jews, and really makes a point to focus on this very lowly birth. Like this, this coming Messiah is 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 one for all people, you know, regardless of your station. Mm. So I wondered if you could kind of talk about um, why it's important to understand the audience that that these gospels were were writing to. I was just I was having this conversation with a friend today, and um, this friend was asking me to 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 tell me um, about a translation in John, and um, the 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 thing is is that I never want to start with what Jesus said. I want to start with why Jesus was saying it, mm. and I wish. I mean, the, the, my work of Quadratus and the Four Gospel Journey and the book Heart and Mind, the Four Gospel Journey for Radical Transformation. Um, this book is about teaching us that we can have uh, a credible way to understand why Jesus was saying these things. And once you understand the context of why Jesus is saying it, it's not just a matter about what the text says, because what the text says is just like an anthology. It's just a whole bunch of wonderful wisdom, but how do I apply it? Mm. So Luke's text is written at a moment when the Jewish and Christian communities are in a horrible divorce with each other. This is the mid-80s of the first century. And we've broken apart from each other, and there's pain on both sides of this awful moment. There's nothing worse than the fight in the family. And the, the, the gospel author is inspired to tell the story of Jesus to the Christian community about how to move through this moment so that they do not become resentful and bitter about their removal from the synagogue and their removal from Jewish life. But there's a second impact here, and the second impact is, is that because of what we, we as Christians are coming to understand about the message of Jesus, we are now choosing to live our lives differently. We're choosing to live our lives in a way that we say to everybody, your brother and sister, no longer, no matters what bloodline you're from, mm. doesn't matter who your mama was. Doesn't matter where you were born on the planet. Doesn't matter if you're free or slave. Doesn't matter if you're male or female. In this understanding of God, we are equal brothers and sisters. Yes, we have different work, but we're we're of equal worth and respect. And, And because we choose to live this way, the emperor wants to condemn us when it wants to make us criminals, in fact, does make us criminals, because living this way uh, is an anathema to the Roman rule of law, which is built on power and brutality, Mm. privilege, where a man owns women, Mm -hmm. where a person of wealth has a right to treat a person without wealth in any way that that person wants to, including having them killed. They're, they're property. They're not human beings. Hmm. And we're also developing an ethos that we take care of each other, that, that our goods are held for the good of all, not just for our own good. Hmm. 
All of these values are not values that the emperor wants to get started in his empire because he knows that such values, such actions would undermine his authority. Yeah. So he makes us criminals and he begins to execute us. So in this moment that we are becoming, that we are bearing the wound of the bitter fight in the family and now must stand as criminals before the emperor. Luke gives us this text, his gospel, which is very much a text of nonviolent resistance. It's very much a text of we are going to hold to spiritual practice regardless of the consequences that come back on us. Regardless of the fact that we're not going to get the good schools or we probably aren't going to have the best health care, um, we know that only by our holding to spiritual practice will God ultimately raise up new value in our culture. Christians did this for 225 years. 225 years before the emperor was no more. So now when when we look back at, at the opening of Luke's text, and we, and we have Luke give us the historical days of Jesus' birth. It's Luke that gives us that. It's Luke that names the, the, the census of Caesar Augustus. Mm. Well, and I, I know, and I hope that the, the family here is out of earshot, because um, we're, all, we're all going to go to these incredibly beautiful uh, Christmas pageants at school and church and we're going to hear about this decree of Caesar Augustus to go back to your hometown and be counted. My hope is that when we hear the name Caesar Augustus, um, we'll know that Caesar Augustus is right there in line with Adolf Hitler. Mm-hmm. Caesar Augustus is one of the world's most horrific authoritarian bullies. Mm. He, he brutalized an empire for his own wealth and power. He kept a people an inch away from starvation so they couldn't have the strength to raise their arms against his army. There is no such thing as the hundred years of the peace of Augustus. It's the hundred years of brutality where no one dared raise themselves in opposition. This is that Caesar Augustus. So when Luke tells us about who's emperor and who's governor in Syria and in Palestine and who's in the temple in Jerusalem when Jesus is born, what what Luke is saying is, look, those were the darkest days in humanity. Hmm. The government was against you, and your temple had become the stooge of the government and were only looking out for themselves. The people felt they were powerless and had nowhere to turn. Nobody was listening to them. No one could turn this around. And this gospel is written 
to talk about the spiritual truth, not the historical truth. It happened in history, but that's not its glory. The glory is it's happening right now. It happens in every moment of time that at the deepest dark, new radiance is born. We that know that at the deepest dark, the new radiance is born, have the strength, not of hope, but of belief. We don't know when the turnaround is going to come. God, I hope it's this afternoon or tomorrow. But what I know by faith is it will happen. It is the truth of our God, and it is part of the incarnation of our cosmos. And it's the reality of Jesus the Christ. There is no depth of darkness that will ever ultimately win. Something you said a minute ago, I I thought maybe was germane for some of the people listening right now. You had mentioned that this gospel was written um, in the context of a great divorce between the Jews and the Christians. And a lot of people listening to this podcast right now find themselves in the middle of a kind of a divorce from uh, maybe the, the type or the, the interpretation of whatever religion that they were maybe originally brought up with. They, you know, kind of like we've talked about in past episodes, you know, uh, the hero's journey oftentimes requires a leaving, which feels uh, really, really difficult and brings a great deal of pain. And um, I just feel like so much of what you're saying um, can speak to that as well. Absolutely, and it's why um, it's, it's the power and the beauty of that genealogy at sundown on Christmas, at, at that moment that we leave the 24th and we move into the 25th, and we hear about Tamar. Tamar, who had to do something that many were going to consider highly unethical. And, and we hear about David. David, the king, who became an accomplice to murder for lust. And we hear about Rahab, who owns the house of ill repute in the city of Jericho. And yet she hides the Jewish spies in the city, and she shows them the ways to get through the walls at night after the gates have come down. And therefore, for that glorious act, she's part of salvation history. And we also hear about Ruth, um, who, for the love of of, uh, a fellow sister who's no longer Jewish, so we, we have all of these great stories of people who find themselves in situations that others would go, point their finger, wag their tongues, and say, certainly that behavior is not of God. And yet God acts in the midst of each one of these untoward situations. That's quote-unquote, salvation history. Mm. And just like 
it happened in their lives, it will happen in our life. It will happen in our heart. I think so. I think for, you know, for myself and, uh, I don't know about you, John, but, um, I know even in my family, like there's, uh, there, you know, there's, especially in you know, the political season we find ourselves in and the, the spiritual season we find ourselves in, there's a lot of um, judgment just flying around. And a lot of people, you know, creating new enemies for themselves or feeling uh, estranged, you know, this time of year because of maybe their lifestyle or their, you know, political leaning or their, their you know, spiritual doubting or faith or lack of faith or whatever. And I just, I feel like everything you're saying right now is, is speaking into those situations. Well, I'm speaking to my own life and my own experiences. And we've talked about this at other times, but you know, I, I had to step out from my family and there was nothing in my Lebanese lineage of generations upon generations that ever said a Lebanese son could step out. But I had to. I, for, for the God in me and the voice in me of wisdom, I had to. Mm. And, it, and it's still painful. I mean, I know I had to. I, I know that I did the best that I could. I know that I fulfilled, I think, what spirit was asking of me, none of that takes away the pain. I was, I was with my family recently, and, and for me, as much as I love them, and I know they love me, but that pain still sits there. They really can't grasp who I am and what I've done. That's difficult. It It, it is. Um, and yet I also know that I could not be doing this work. It was like, I, each of us have to go to that place of the deepest dark, and there we'll find the fresh radiance. There we'll find the new grace of Jesus the Christ, whatever language you want to use. And the way that we get to the deepest dark is going to feel lonely and painful, and it's going to be filled with a sense of betrayals and abandonment. So one of the things I find so remi- remarkable um, about the work that you do is that you you always bring us new insights and and new eyes in, with which to see you know material that we've read over and over and over again and and, and again you're doing the same thing with um, you know with the with the birth story and and um, the celebration of Christmas so and and what you just said I literally wrote this quote down I'd, I'd heard you say this in another interview um, with with Rob couple years back, the only place radiance can be born is within the depths of darkness. And um, for a society of people who um, I think we, I think it's safe to say we do everything in our power to avoid darkness and to avoid pain and to avoid suffering, um, even though there, there can be beauty and light found within that. I don't know. How do we encourage people to embrace that um, and, and to, to seek the rebirth that comes as a result? time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Alexander. <laughs> I, I wish I had a pat answer. And um, here, here are some touchstones. 
first, obviously, is prayer and meditation and the way that prayer and meditation is an infilling for you. Um, but secondly, go find those stories. Go find those movies um, that touch you about the courage to make that journey. You know, what, what are the movies that have really, um, that have really touched you those people who have, who have gone through those really difficult times and they've seen the turnaround. We know it in other people's lives, and I'm willing to bet that every one of us has got a place in our own life that we know it too, although we probably have discounted it in some way. But prayer meditation, the stories of others, and then at least one rock-solid good friend who you almost literally trust with your life and will help you not wallow in despair. They'll walk with you, but they won't let you wallow. Um, every one of us has a journey to make. And I just came back from leading eight pilgrims 55 days on the Camino, and I'm learning, I'm teaching myself about being a guide on the Camino. And it's, it's like I so want to be able to help people transform without going through the pain. Yeah. And I so want to be the person that can sit there and backslab and, 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 and tell them it's going to be all right and, and compliment them. And, and I will to a point. But the reality is, you have to find it in yourself. And when anyone else does it for you, you ultimately won't find it in yourself. Jung has this quote, and I've used it maybe too often, but I've really learned the truth of it. It's only when your ego feels totally abandoned that the deep healing powers are activated. Oof. I think I heard Joel Osteen say that once. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I love about that, Alexander, is it's, it rings so true because so f- no part of me wants to hear that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. To say it. Or to say it. And that's, and that's actually one of my acid tests in life at this point. You start to recognize, uh, you know, the voice of your ego and, and, and how it's always trying to protect itself. And you're right. It is the leaving. It is the pain. It is the darkness that um, we have to move into. And I love how you lay out the Gospels in a way that helps us do that. Thank you so much. For your work, friend. Hey, I'm, I'm trying to take that in, guys. Um, and I so appreciate the two of you. So before we, before we um, say goodbye for now. Yeah, I've, got, I've got one more piece. I don't know if we've got time. Totally. A- absolutely. Do it. Well, it's like I, I want to do this piece about St. Nicholas and Santa Claus. Yes, because, because it really bears on the spiritual practice of the darkness. And 
the Christianity and Jesus want to teach us about one of the ways that we work with the place of darkness is that we stretch ourselves to utter generosity. Because when we're in that place in darkness, we want to pull in. We want to, we want to, we want to circle the wagons and we want to count our resources and we want to hold on to them really tight. And take a nap. <laughs> take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly opposite from what spiritual practice is teaching us. Spiritual practice is saying, when you're at that place of the utter darkness, open your heart in generosity to others. So when Christianity uh, was, was met with this myth of Santa Claus in the northern climes of Europe, uh, we wanted to find the deeper truth of Santa Claus, because there's a truth there. But we wanted to find the deeper truth and we wanted to find it in an incarnational way in our history and then bring it forward as a spiritual practice. That's what we do. Is we find a historical story and we bring it forward, not as history, but we bring it forward as a spiritual practice for us to model. And so our model became St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas was the great saint of the first thousand years of Christianity in the way that we might think of St. Francis as the great saint of the second thousand years. Wow. Now, who was Nicholas? Nicholas was a young boy, orphaned. Both of his parents died when he was quite young. He came from a, a, an incredibly wealthy family. Let's just In today's terms, he had billions. Um, he grows up. He has the character of holiness. Um, he's called early to be a priest, and then um, some say even as early as the age of 18 is elected bishop. Um, if that's true, let's also remember that in those days, the lifespan was somewhere in your 40s. But as bishop, what he would do is he would take care of his people secretly. He would find ways to gift them with money and objects that they needed. And there, the, the, the stories, the sort of the classic story of St. Nicholas is his city was being ravaged by people having to sell their children into slavery to live. Mm. And they were having to sell their daughters into sex slavery to live. And so what um, Nicholas would do is he would bundle up uh, gold coins as a dowry and leave them on the doorsteps of these young girls so, so that the girls had a dowry and wouldn't have to be sold into slavery. Nobody knew who was doing this until after Nicholas died. And they discovered that he, was di that he died with almost no money left. So there is a great truth in Santa Claus in the, in the depths of the darkness of December. Let us remember 
that what aids the arrival of the fresh radiance is our personal generosity. And a generosity which is not only of giving what we have, but perhaps even stretching a bit into what we actually think we need. That's the story of Christmas. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna scratch off that last question I had. Yep, we're ending right there. <laughs> yep. Um, wow, thank you so much for coming back, um, Adam. And I, I know we've the three of us have had this this plan for for months um, since the last time you were on, actually in the spring, and um, we just we just knew that you were gonna have some good stuff to say, and we're super excited about this, and we just hope that. Um, that the people listening out there really take this as um, just a beacon of light and a um, a bit of hope in a season where some families aren't as as fortunate as others. So, mm. um, so if you're struggling out there, if you're in a dark place, um, I, I hope this episode helped helped you, um, in in some way. So, Merry Christmas, Alexander, from the bottom of my heart to everybody and especially to those in the depths of an interior darkness may the Christ come quickly the stars hung in the sky gazing upon the world that night a world that was different and finally had a chance Oh, we did it again. He did it again. I have very few words. <laughs> I really he, do. We've had him on. He is the reigning champion. He I, is. It's almost like SNL where they, I feel like we should hand out those blazers like they do for like <laughs> Justin Timberlake. Ten time host or whatever. Like it is. Alec Baldwin. Yes. <laughs> like he's the reigning, he and, he and uh, Peter Rounds, we've, we've uh, cultivated a friend, friendships with. Um, and they know we've made it abundantly clear, like, Hey, we, we appreciate and value what you bring to the table. And so, um, yeah, you guys are always welcome to come on and, and we've been fortunate and, uh, you know, from benefiting from their wisdom and having had them on multiple times and, mm. and we, we've had this plan for months. Mm-hmm. I think since we did the Easter episode with him, yep. he was like, Hey, what would you guys think about talking a little Christmas, um, closer to the holidays? And we were like, yeah, yeah, we don't say no to that. No. No, we don't, we don't say no to that. Honestly, he could be like, let's talk about um, broccoli. And I'd be like, I'm sure you got something good in there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Brussels sprouts, broccoli, a- asparagus. Yeah. He'd be yeah. like, well, let me tell you about the history. Uh, uh, I'm like, oh, okay. But, you know, I mean, just being able to, I think, I think that the mark of a truly gifted spiritual teacher is to draw on ancient sources and create fresh freshness, fresh insight, fre- um, fresh life. Yeah. Not necessarily even fresh insight because even the insights are like ancient, but the way that you, nobody's put them into the words that like Alexander Shia uses. Right. And with his background in, you know, anthropology and psychiatry and, you know, studying under Joseph Campbell and knowing this, this fourfold path to the gospels, the quadratus, the way he does. Yeah. Man, as somebody that has probably studied Bible more than I would even care to think about, <laughs> yeah. Re- truly, yeah, I could sit at his feet and listen to him 
talk about this stuff all day because not only is it really divine, it's really human. Yeah. And for the for the history nerd in me, I always appreciate having him on because he he does. So like he has this understanding and appreciation of who the original audiences would have been and what these messages would have meant to them and why they were written differently from one another. So like why the gospel of Luke um, has a different focus, um, you know, than the gospel of like Matthew, but why that's important. Mm. And, and so like, yeah, you look at people who spend their days arguing like over like differences between them and discrepancies or whatever. And you've got this, the scholar like Shia, who's just like, no, like they were fully aware of the differences and that, that you're missing the point. Right. You know, let's, let's take a deeper look here. Yeah. There's treasure. There's treasure to be mined here. So much treasure. And, and just his, his ability to, um, well, let me say this. I think one of the things that I can kind of put my finger on that I like about him so incredibly much is that with, with some people, you know, you're just listening to somebody who's just brilliant. They're just gifted and they're brilliant and they're scholarly and they've read a bunch of stuff and they're really good at like outlining it for you. Yeah. And um, I've, I always respect scholars like that. And, and then what, what Shia brings to the table, in my opinion, is you, you learn, but like more than that, I get a sense when he's talking that this is coming from a deep, almost groaning, real place from within him that it's so internalized in him that I almost care less about what he says. And I'm, I'm more just love the, like for, to use a hippie phrase, like the vibe that he just sends (laughs) out that I'm like, this guy is, it means so much to him Yeah, beyond just like, look at all this stuff. I know it's no, it just, you can tell it's changed him. I mean, he just, he almost aches when he talks. Yeah. Because it means so much to him. Yeah, he reminds me of, it's almost like when you see a really good musician who writes a really personal song to them mm. and then performs it and loses themselves so much in the moment yes. that like all of their emotions are spilling out That's in that exactly moment it. on stage. That's exactly it. Like, I just keep thinking, I'm like, man, he must do these interviews and pour all the stuff out of him and just be exhausted. Exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. But like, what a, what a treasure. And like, he's not one of those guys who, who's, you know, like at the moment as well known as like a Rob Bell or like some of the other big names in the industry, but my gosh, I like, wish he was. Yeah. I think, you know, I think he's, Oh, and heart and mind. We got the, yes. the paperback. Oh crap. Yeah. Heart and mind. Second edition. Everybody get on Amazon right now and order yourself a paperback copy of heart and mind. Second edition. Yeah. Second what, edition. What is it? Just How much out. is it? Uh, let's look. Isn't it like 11 bucks or something? It's, it's not, yeah, it's, so, like, originally it was really hard to find. There was only, like, a hard copy of oh, the original yeah. printing. we out. paid, like, 50 bucks for our first one. Yes. Yes, I did. Um, but the new one, there's a second edition, second printing that just came out, and uh, I'm pulling up on Amazon right now. Um, second edition, paperback, you can get for $24.99 on so Amazon Prime. every penny. Um, yeah, second edition, and I think the, let's see. If you're if you're a tech guy, you don't like that hard that hard copy in your hands like I do. I gotta highlight stuff, man. I just can't. But yeah, can't the Kindle is ten bucks. Yeah, nine ninety nine. So like, if you like the Kindle, if you if you if you get your Nook or your Amazon Fire, or your iPad, whatever you want to read on, 
It's 10 bucks and it is incredible. And he walks you through the four gospels or what he calls the, the four gospel journey. Yes. Um, and will like, he'll show it to you in a whole new way. The, uh, the gospels, the canonical gospels. Formative whoa, journey. Whoa. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. He might be Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> He, he, I mean, sacrilege. I know. Sorry. No. Whoops. It's like, well, I mean, he would even say, like, you know, the Christ yeah. is like in, yeah, you know, the the incarnations and yeah. like the Jesus in, like, even like you can sit next to a tree and and uh, ugh. oh my goodness, he's so good. Anyway, we gush when he's he means a lot to us. Yeah, and uh, we love him very very much and really appreciate the interest he's taken in us as humans and and this show. So getting to hear him talk about Christmas and how the darkness gives way to light mm. and St. Nick and what's going on in the Gospels in these, you know, really familiar stories and breaking, breaking through with new life. It's just a gift. Yeah. It's a gift to me, and it's great to get to end uh, our interviews this year on a guy that I love so much. Yep, yep. I can't really add much more to that. I think, I think you just got to listen to the episode, and hopefully if you guys are flying or driving somewhere right now um you know hopefully you're enjoying your time hopefully you get a little time off at least for the holidays yes and uh um we'll be back for one more this year we're going to wrap it up um and give you guys some idea of what to look forward to next year yes um if you haven't already check out our brand new revamp website courtesy of ryan battles we love you ryan battles so good uh www.thedeconstructionist.com um, if you go there, you can literally do anything. You can connect to us on social media. You can email us um, to tell us um, how um, unattractive we are and how we should stick to radio. How uh, much you love John's winter beard. Yeah. If you've seen it. You can encourage John, my, my buddy, growing John, winter beard. John, I want to talk about your blog for a second. <laughs> it's so good, and I know you're not going to talk about it. John just published a new blog. on. It's under Journal on our website, and it's freaking awesome. You guys need Thanks, to read dude. it. I know you put a lot of work into that, man. And it's really good. I, I had a problem and I had to stop. <laughs> it's so good, man. As I, soon as I finished reading it, I, pa- I sh- gave it to my wife. I was like, you need to read this right oh, thanks, now. man. That it's, means a lot. It's so good. So I'm not going to tell them too much about it, but just about what it means to be made in the image of God and how, what that has to do with love and how important that is and how it calls us forward. He put some incredible words to that. So get on our website. For those of you supporting us on Patreon, thank you. Uh, you are our Christmas <laughs> hug this year. Thank you so, so, so much. Yes. Um, we take that very seriously. We love doing this with you guys, and uh, we're going to make that money work for you. Yes. Big things coming next year. I Tune think it's in important next week. to kind of say, like, we don't, we don't pay ourselves out of that. No. Like, none of, that, none of that, like, goes to our pockets at all. I think that's worth saying. I think some people think that's, like, yeah. we're bankrupt. Like, hey, I'm going to quit my job and be the deconstructionists. It's funny because like I, I take a look at the, our bank like often because I'm usually the one that's ordering like supplies and stuff, and I'm like, oh man, we should have like a, a decent balance in there. And then I realize that I had like it all goes back into the podcast. It all goes back into the podcast. So like reordering T-shirts that you guys are um, seem to be enjoying, and and uh, reordering uh, buttons and stickers, and um, shipping books out to to people who have signed up for that, and um, paying for our domain name and all that stuff. It, it, it's, um, it's such a joy and, and, um, we could not be more humbled and appreciative of every single person out there. Uh, whether you're donating or not, whether you're just sending us, um, happy vibes over email, that means the world to us. Mm-hmm. Um, we're on social media, just reaching out and saying, Hey, like sharing. we appreciate what you're doing, sharing it with your friends. Yes. That's so huge. Word oh. of mouth is massive for us. We've never, um, advertised. We've, 
Um, never spent a dime in advertising. And so like this whole podcast has grown by word, word of, of mouth. mouth. That's it. Completely grassroots. And we're, we're super proud of that. So thank you guys uh, for anyone who's ever told and the, a friend about all it. All the iTunes reviews, we take them all very, very seriously. The mm-hmm. positive ones we use as affirmation because we're both very insecure and we need the hugs. Yeah. <laughs> and the negative ones, we cry and then we yeah. u- use it as constructive criticism. <laughs> <laughs> True. There's some truth to that. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, that really hurt. I think you might be right. <laughs> Rex, wrecks my day, and then I and then I and I feel sad, and then I. <laughs> <laughs> we love you guys so much. Thanks for hanging yes. with us in uh, Alexander Shia for Christmas, and uh, we will definitely be talking to you uh, again soon. And um, yeah, Merry Christmas. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Keep deconstructing, everyone. I wonder what was it like To see a light so low in the sky To follow it blindly To see it shining so bright
Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save 